Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meet Medic podcast. Today, I am interviewing my very special guest, Dr. Malini Bose. I think that's how we say yep. your, your name. I apologize if that's incorrect. Dr. Malini is a GP and uh, she's been here now in Australia for around seven, eight years. And she's actually just recently started up uh, her new uh, business, the Phoenix Docs, which looks amazing. And uh, Malini would like to give us uh, her story and uh, tell us a little bit about herself and what she's trying to do to help people out there. So Malini, can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, thanks for that. And thanks for having me today. Um, so I am a GP. I fellowed with the Royal Australasian College of General Practitioners, RACGP, in 2020. Um, and since then, essentially have been practicing, actually even before that, practicing more holistic medicine uh, with a focus on lifestyle and nutrition and practicing low-carb medicine for various purposes. Um, and to the point where I'm now pursuing two fellowships, so one with the Australasian College of Nutritional Environmental Medicine, or ACNAM, and concurrently with Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine as well. Um, and other than that, I'm now also, yeah, I've just launched my business, Phoenix Docs, which focuses more on doctor's health and medical students' health, uh, which I don't know if there's a lot out there at the moment. Um, and, and kind of there's a lot of focus on patients health but not the healers themselves so that's kind of what I want to give back yeah absolutely I, I think uh, it's definitely an underserved part of our healthcare um, the actual providers yeah. um, and and who's looking after the providers uh, and our future providers of course our medical students yeah. as well um, it's something that, uh, that definitely I think is, is, is certainly overlooked. Um, so do you see the general public as well, or are you focusing just solely on medical practitioners? Uh, well, I think starting out with this business, I'll definitely want to focus on medical practitioners. Um, but, and, and obviously with, you know, I see patients part of the general public anyway, but I think. I just, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to figure out how to tap into the market. Now, this actually stemmed from interest from medical students that I was teaching last year. So <clears throat> I was doing my usual tutorials with the university, but on the side, they kept asking me questions about food and nutrition and I guess for their own health uh, as well. And so they kind of were the impetus for me to start this. So uh, otherwise I wouldn't have even... Mm considered it really uh, because it seems like there is a gap and that I feel like that gap has to be filled um, yeah no absolutely um, so uh, so this when did this kind of all, all start for you uh, and when when did you kind of first get interested in the idea of of the wider aspects of healthcare like you know diet and nutrition yeah and so, so uh, it was 2019. I had just finished my GP specialty exams and the 12 months leading up to those exams, I had gained like 10 kilos uh, from the busyness of working full time, trying to navigate clinic medicine, moving away from the hospital. You know, there's, there's multiple factors there. So definitely wasn't moving as much. I was sitting at a desk, seeing patients. 
um, the stress of studying uh, for these exams. So, and then convincing myself that I had zero time to cook. Um, I also was living on my own. So my boyfriend at the time, now husband, we were doing actually, actually doing long distance. So no accountability, no one to check on me, um, was away from family. Um, and I guess the cherry on top was the fact that I was living within a five minute drive of KFC, McDonald's and Domino's pizza. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And, you know, mix it all together. And you have a, and for myself and probably borderline overweight, work, like stressed out, burnt out general practitioner. Um, and so I feel like that was it you know, something needed to change. I finished my exams and I was like, that's it. That's, you know, something's got to change. Uh, I was very mm. lethargic. <clears throat> I wanted to lose weight because the following year was when I was supposed to get married and to fit into a wedding dress. So it was actually quite superficial, my goal, uh, rather than health, except get more energy um, at the time. And so I actually got the advice of going low carb from a colleague of mine at the practice that I was at. And she was very matter of fact, she said, Oh, just go low carb. And I was like, I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> Can you explain that to me? <laughs> um, and she directed me to read the obesity code by Jason Fung, uh, which right. is a fantastic book. I don't know if you've read it yourself. I have. Yeah, it's a really good book, actually. Yeah. And uh, I think I spoke uh, in one of my earlier episodes with the patient that got me into this kind of really whole journey. Uh, he got me to read The Obesity Code. He brought yeah. it in because uh, I kind of refused to yeah. go and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and he brought it in and it was like, right, you're yeah. reading it. <laughs> and he literally just bought, bought it and brought it brought it in for me and uh, uh, said, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a gift. You know, here you go. Uh, and I read it and I read it in like oh, two, same. three days. Same. Yeah. And I just kind of couldn't yeah, put it down. Exactly. I, I, yeah. And I was just like, yeah, okay. This this guy's yeah. on something. So moving away from the whole calorie in, calorie out model to the hormonal model of obesity, mm. like completely changed my practice. Um, and it just made sense. Um, so now a bit of context. I actually have PCOS as well. Um, but at the time, I wasn't really making that connection. Uh, it came to me as I went through the motions. But I mean, I was diagnosed when I was 19. I was put on metformin by the specialist, took it for about six months, didn't really understand the implications of it as much back then, or maybe didn't want to, and then just forgot about it for about seven or eight years. Uh, so that was crucial for me to kind of realize that oh i i need to eat this way um because of this condition because of my genetics um because of the fact that i later found out that i was insulin resistant with testing uh this way and it worked for me uh, i steadily lost weight so i cut out all the snacks stuck to main meals um was cutting out bread pasta rice but you know more meat more veg and lost like seven kilos or eight kilos in like 12 months without like doing a ton of exercise um which what everyone always talks about is you know eat less move more which like doesn't always work 
so, but I, other than that, it was, it was actually, again, a combination of things. You know, I'd finished my exams. I had more time to cook. I was less stressed. I was no longer doing long distance uh, with my partner. Uh, so there was social accountability. Um, I was no longer in an obesogenic environment where there was junk food all around me at all times. Uh, so I feel like it wasn't just one thing, but it was the accumulation of kind of everything that kind of worked for me. And I feel like that's often forgotten somehow when we, when we talk to people that talk about food and how it changed their life, uh, that it, yes, it's a massive pillar, but it's not the only thing that matters. Like I, I've had patients who have amazing diets um very clean eating making they are getting enough protein they're getting enough fat all that sort of stuff and yet a they're not losing weight or whatever reason they've come in with um there's something not quite right and i feel like we have to address all the pillars of health uh for for patients to get better for us to get better okay well i guess that's a, that's actually a really good segue into uh lifestyle medicine actually, because of course we talk about the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. Uh, now, some of my viewers, uh, listeners may know that I'm a certified lifestyle physician. Um, so lifestyle medicine is really right up my alley there as well. But maybe, uh, Melina, you could talk a little bit about lifestyle medicine and, and what it means and, and how it can maybe help patients. Yeah. So um, basically, it's a way of practicing that looks at the patient as a whole uh, looks at uh, their life beyond their symptoms um, is one way that I'd put it. So we can have the conventional medical paradigm where a patient comes in with migraines, for example, um, and we will ask all the regular questions, all the red flag symptoms, make sure they don't need a scan, that it's not a tumor and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we could maybe give some basic advice in the conventional model in terms of uh do you have any triggers like chocolate or caffeine or whatever uh and then that's probably the extent of it before we then talk about what medications have you tried and here try this uh this might work and we give them a medication uh, treatment or a preventative one depending on their frequency um and that's it whereas in lifestyle medicine and when we t and integrative medicine, we go way beyond that. So we'll talk about, are you sleeping? Tell me about your stress levels. What do you do for work? Uh, tell me about your typical day. What are you eating? Uh, really kind of knuckling down on how do they live their lives? Um, they're going if you talk about migraines in general we know there's all sorts of triggers for migraines like i'll actually ask about their environment uh so whether or not they have changed perfumes or um are there uh has there, the partner changed his or her cologne or perfume or um any new foods in the diet that might be a bit different so so there's it there's more to it um I, I always think about things like magnesium and other micronutrient deficiencies that can drive things like migraines. Uh, so there's there's a bit more to the story and it's just asking more questions. Now, obviously it takes time, which not a lot of doctors have. Uh, just being 
seeing so many patients, especially in general practice. Uh, as a specialist, you probably do have a little bit more time. Uh, but mainly in primary care, we are very time poor and probably in the emergency department as well. Although it's not always necessarily their fault because they're dealing with acute, you know, acute issues. So, uh, yeah, so I think I think that's probably one way of, of describing lifestyle medicine. So using migraines as an example, but any condition, any chronic condition, just mm. going beyond the conventional pharmaceutical approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's certainly the way that I, I like to practice. And I've, I've always liked to practice that way. And that's kind of how I fell into lifestyle medicine. I, I never knew it even yeah. then. Um, and, and I'd seen things like integrative medicine, functional medicine, nothing, they didn't quite seem to fit with what I wanted to do. And then I saw lifestyle medicine and, and that just, yeah, screamed at me. This is, this is what yeah. I want to do. Um, although I don't follow every single aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, I, I obviously did the board certification and, and, and so on. So, um, but yeah, it's really about just really trying to delve into the root mm. cause. Oh, absolutely. That's, That's it. That's really yeah. the bottom line, isn't it? And I, and I think this is something that that all doctors really want to do. Um, I don't think anybody really wants to be practicing six minute medicine and in and out patients. You know, uh, just have, have 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 a prescription, have a prescription, have a prescription. You know, I don't think anyone really wants to work like that. But you know, the system we have here in Australia is unfortunately set up a little bit, and you know, the UK where I trained as well is is set up to almost almost punishes long medicine which is which is such a shame it's an, it's an absolute travesty um that we're just discouraged actively discouraged from spending time with our patients which is which is yeah. just terrible i mean i took um, a i took a pay cut so when i started talking to patients about food this was in townsville in a bulk billing gp clinic um i had mm. longer appointments because i wasn't going to rush through this that was just pointless uh, and i but it was okay for the time being. I, I was learning and but even so, like I I took a pay cut pretty significantly, but the rewards mm. that I got from patients getting better were way more than what I had expected. Like I and I still to this day, I mean, practicing in Brisbane, yes, it's a mixed billing, more private billing clinic, but I'm still having longer appointments. I'm probably still making a lot less money than my colleagues in the same practice mm. who are doing 15-minute appointments. Um yeah, it's, it's a shame, isn't it, that, you know, the medical system we have here in Australia really does incentivize quick medicine. Absolutely. Um, and, and the, you know, there's there's always going to be a role for that. Someone walks in, you know, they've, they've stopped their toe. Yeah, you don't have to spend half an hour or an hour with yep. that patient talking about their diet yep. and their lifestyle because of their yep. stubbed toe. Um, but then you've got people coming in with, you know, I've got, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, I've got type two diabetes, I've got high blood pressure, I've got high cholesterol, I've got metabolic syndrome, or you think they've got metabolic syndrome, they've got this funny rash that's bothering them, they're fatigued, they're tired, you know, nothing seems to work, they want to lose weight. And you're like, yeah, okay, I've yeah. got 15 minutes. <laughs> Go. And it's like, yeah, no, that's no. never going to work, you know, and you either have to just do these really piecemeal consultations or, or do these longer ones. But yeah, unfortunately, the system we have here really dis discourages that because you do take a mm, big pay cut. You do. And I think that's something, or you just have to charge, More. you know, what seemingly is a yes. lot of money, you know, to patients out yeah. of pocket. Uh, now, perhaps some of our American listeners won't necessarily understand what we're talking about, but I mean, they probably know about out-of-pocket costs over there, yeah. I'm sure. 
Um, but yeah, here, obviously in Australia, the Medicare rebate pays substantially less the longer you spend with the patient. Um, and it's the patient's rebate at the end of the day. Um, so either they end up a lot out of pocket or the doctor ends up subsidizing, you know, their care with, with their own income essentially, or it just leads to this, you know, very quick consults, which is, you know, really not help to anybody particularly. Um, you mentioned, of course, their nutritional deficiencies. Um, and that's something certainly that I, I work with patients a lot, a lot with as well. Um, what do you see is the most common mineral or or nutrient deficiency that people have? So I, as a female GP, see a lot of women. Um, so inevitably, uh, actually really shocked to see the amount of iron deficiency out there in, especially in women, um, especially women of reproductive age. Uh, it, you ask anyone at my clinic and everyone's shocked at how many patients keep coming back for uh, blood tests, checking their iron, not working, do everything else, and they end up needing an infusion. Um, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it's like every, like every week, and I don't work every day. I work two or three days a week in a clinic. And every week I end up having to do an infusion in one, at least one patient. Uh, which is baffling. Um, but on, other than that, there's zinc, which 70 to 80% of my patients are deficient in. Um, magnesium, a bit tricky to pick up on blood tests unless you do like red cell magnesiums. And I don't do that that often, but I, I still look at the range of even a serum one. And, and I've picked up frank deficiencies like outside of that range. Um, but even from the stories you hear, the symptoms, for all of these micronutrients, like I, I'll suspect and I'll literally have the tests confirm my suspicions, either iron or zinc or magnesium or B12 or um, omega-3, although I don't do testing that much on omega-3. But again, from the story and from the physical mm. exam, you can tell. Uh, vitamin D is the other mm. one. I can keep going. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I see it a lot in the practice that you know that, that I do as well. Um, and so, yeah, interestingly, uh, vitamin D or, or, or vitamin D. Um, I've started saying I've started calling it vitamin now. I think I've been in Australia here long enough to start saying yep. vitamin at times. I caught myself saying it for the first time the other day. <laughs> vitamin. Well, hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Vitamin. Vitamin. You're morphing. Anyway, um, a sign. A sign. I'm morphing yes. into an Australian. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, it's funny because I mean, I, I work here in Queensland, you live in Queensland as well. You know, we're called the sunshine yes. state. Yeah. Vitamin D deficiency is so, yes, so common. Here. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it really is so common. Um, and yet Medicare, you know, won't let us test for it in most people. Yeah. Absolutely yep. crazy. Um, but I mean, I, I figure it's because, you know, actually outside of work hours, People don't get that much sun. No. Well, it's either too hot um, or it's they might get maybe five minutes at lunch, which I think is great. But that's so far and few between like they'll they might, you know, I've got patients who will just grab their lunch, but have a takeaway lunch and then walk two minutes in the sun back to their office and eat at their desk. Um, so, or it's shift work, a lot of shift workers, uh, us doctors included have 
the worst levels of vitamin D uh, because we literally don't get out at all. Yeah, no, I think the the lowest uh, levels I've probably seen in people are probably nurses. Yeah. Not surprising. Actually, because they're just, yeah, they're shift working all the time. They're stuck in the hospital yeah. all day. Um, and although, of course, we, we live in the sunshine state, it's really only sunny between about, what, roughly six and six. Outside of that, there's, there's almost no sun. Uh, any time of the year, almost. It varies by what, an hour, maybe. Um, so people are working and they're not seeing the sun or if they're shift working, they're working at night, they're in bed in the day. So they're just not getting it. And vitamin D deficiency, I think people don't understand how important vitamin D actually is. Um, and you know, it's a pro hormone and uh, it's, it's just so important for our hormones. Of course, you mentioned, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome earlier. Um, I, you know, I see a lot of men, uh, as a, as a male GP, I see a lot of women with PCOS as well. Um, a lot that don't even know oh, they have PCOS. Yeah. But interestingly, it's hard because a lot of women don't realize they have PCOS because they're on contraception for so long, on hormonal contraception for so long. And I was, I was fortunate in that I was only on contraception maybe for like a couple of months before I got the diagnosis. Uh, so, and a lot of it was on my history um, rather than ultrasound and and things but i think our hormones as women are so altered especially in younger years by hormonal contraception that we don't even know what's normal anymore uh and there has been a a shift uh, with maybe younger women uh from what i've seen that want to come off hormonal contraception and kind of see what their cycles are doing uh, knowing full well in terms of pregnancy risks and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's this, it, I mean, it's been called a vital sign. The fact that if you're getting an ovulatory period once a month, it's as important as a blood pressure or a temperature or a heart rate, because it's almost mm. as if your body's saying, okay, we're safe. We're okay. We can have a baby. Um, and and how complex that whole process is, is and often with modern day lifestyles, with stress, with trauma, we lose the ability to ovulate because our body says it's not safe to have a baby. Um, so I think it's actually quite powerful as a woman to know if you're ovulating and, and the fact that you're having a regular cycle. Uh, I'm not saying contraception is bad for everyone, but there are pros and cons and then more often than not i see a lot of women that have lots of side effects from contraception so it's a give and take and you got to assess mm-hmm. each individual situation uh, but yeah you're right not a lot of women even know they've got pcos yeah and, that, and that's kind of sad in its own right really that a lot of women don't understand they don't know that their cycles are a vital part of their health they don't know that what they've got is is not the norm. Um, I don't like to use the word normal very often, but um, because you know what, what is normal. Um, but I use the word yep. common a lot in consults. Um, but yeah, a lot of women, you know, they come in saying, "Well, isn't that just what everyone has?" Yeah. How how weird. You know, even even I know. Like I just think we don't talk about menstrual health anywhere no. near enough. Um, and uh, especially, you know, as, as doctors, um, I think, and, and I'm sure men probably could be talking about it a lot more than they than they yep. do as well. Um, but even even women, I, I think maybe just don't talk about it enough. Um, uh, endometriosis is another really good example. Um, that do you do you see many women with endometriosis? Yeah. 
to varying degrees. So obviously a lot of these conditions, there's a spectrum to them. So, so from my reading and all the gynecologists I've spoken to, uh, they, I mean, they say most women have some form of endometriosis. So endometriosis, like endometrial lesions, but it's whether or not it manifests, how severe it is. And so there is that kind of spectrum. So um, really, really interesting. Does that mean every woman needs a laparoscopy to diagnose it? Not necessarily. Um, I myself might have had it. Uh, I was offered a laparoscopy uh, and I opted out of it and wanted to, because it wasn't as severe, I wasn't, you know, missing school or work or anything like that. Uh, but I was, I was in pain um, and I, I opted to kind of figure out alternative options uh, to manage the endometriosis. So I, I had a Marina IUD inserted for a bit, didn't quite agree with me, got off of it and really just kind of focused on lifestyle, nutrition, um, supplementation, uh, stress reduction. Uh, and very fortunately, I mean, I've never thought I would say this. If you ask my 16, 17 year old self, if I could have regular cycles and not be in pain and not be super heavy, like she'd be falling over laughing because that's just not possible in her mind. Uh, but I'm very, very lucky. I think I, the work that I've done on myself, I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, I'm quite excited with what's possible. And I feel like women don't know that you can have a normal cycle with no pain and it not be super heavy and not have as much PMS and it'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, what, what what kind of things do you do you do to help women then with conditions like PCOS uh, and endometriosis? Because you're obviously uh, working towards your fellowship in lifestyle medicine. You're working towards your fellowship with ACNEM. You've uh, got work in integrative, you know, medicine yeah. as well. What what are some of these other perhaps non pharmacological ways of of helping women? treat these kinds of conditions yeah so um i guess it depends on what they're wanting so in terms of their goals so it's always important to ask when they're coming in uh, i've had a couple of women early 20s newer diagnoses of pcos but not quite getting the satisfaction from other doctors in terms of what they're wanting so so i've had some patients come in they don't want contraception. They're not necessarily that sexually active. They want to see what their cycles are doing, but it's really irregular. So every couple of months, uh, maybe once or twice a year. Uh, and you then start doing testing. And like I said, 70% of women are uh, with PCOS are insulin resistant, uh, if not pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, and so he's literally, again, comes back to the pillars of health with every chronic condition. So look at their sleep, look at their stress, look at their food. Are they moving? What kind of job do they do? Do they have social connections? Are, do they have a purpose in life, which is huge? Um, what are their relationships like? What's their environment like? So uh, obviously from a nutritional perspective, you know, it is going to be a lower carb lifestyle. I say lower because there's a whole spectrum of what it means to be low carb. Um, 
And so everyone's different in terms of how much carbohydrates they can tolerate. Uh, but I am pretty aggressive initially, which patients are happy with. They're willing to go all in because they know what it means to have regular cycles after I tell them about it. Um, and, and I get results. So lower carb, less processed foods, keep it simple, some form of animal protein, some sort of vegetables. If you want to have a bit of fruit, that's fine. But keep an eye on it because fruit's got lots of sugar in it. Um, make sure you're getting healthy fats. Make sure you're getting enough protein. A lot of people, not just women, even men, don't eat enough protein. For sure, for sure. So many people are just, I mean, medically not protein deficient. Yes, but not optimal. But, you know, they don't, but definitely yeah. suboptimal. Absolutely, you know. And, and I've heard this criticism, you know, um, from people saying, oh, you know, it's not like people have have core, you know, which for anyone out there, you know, it doesn't know what core is. It's a, you know, severe kind of protein deficiency. Um, very rarely seen nowadays other than in, 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 you know, developing parts of the world. Um, and it's a severe protein deficiency. And they say, oh, well, these, these people aren't on, 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 on getting Koshyukor, they're not getting beriberi and all these other really serious, you know, protein deficiencies. Um, things you read out, you know, things you read about in textbooks and so forth and never see in yep. real life. Um, but they're definitely still protein deficient. Yes. And it's so nice to see patients coming back and telling me since they maybe they haven't really done any of the other things that we've spoken about. Maybe they haven't really taken the supplements, uh, which I do put, I correct their deficiencies and things like that as well. But I've had patients who've literally increased their protein and really not done much else, which indirectly actually helps them get the nutrients that they're deficient in because a lot of animal protein has more bioavailable uh, micronutrients like iron and zinc and B12. Um, and they come back and they tell me I've got more energy. I'm not as hungry. I'm sleeping better. My mood's better. Like it's just, it's so basic. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just snowballs. You sleep better, you make better food choices, you've got more energy, you can exercise a bit more, your connect, you know, relationships with your family is a bit better because you're not snapping at them from sleep deprivation. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's it's actually quite nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like you were asking, how do you manage it? Like PCOS, for example, but food, supplementation, um, exercise, I really talk about if you're insulin resistant, PCOS or not, or pre-diabetic or diabetic resistance training is key. A lot of patients are usually do a lot of exercise anyway. The young patients that I see, you know, they're already like, you know, doing cardio and swimming and cycling and all that sort of stuff, but not actually lifting weights, which uh, we know building muscle. Uh, muscle is one of the biggest glucose disposal organs out there. Uh, and so if you've got a higher amount of muscle mass, um, even from a younger age, your body can handle carbohydrates and therefore not mm. need as much insulin to work uh, as hard. So I feel like sometimes that's missing for some people, although I think it's starting to come a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it's still worth emphasizing. But it's you have to ask these questions. That's the thing. And if you don't ask these questions, you're never going to know. And I feel like, unfortunately, again, being time poor, not learning as a as a medical professional, not knowing to ask these questions on a routine basis, uh, it, 
it's unfortunate, but we kind of miss the stories of our patients' lives in some ways as a result of that, which can often, in some cases, be make or break in terms of them getting better. Because patients will say, mm. oh, they never asked, therefore I never said. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a common story. Uh, and again, it comes it comes back to being being time poor. Yeah, I mean, weight weights are something that is that is so important, and it's it's something that's so misunderstood uh, with weight training. People people often think weight training, you know, muscles are just for vanity. They're, they're really not. Um, muscle is so important. Um, skeletal muscle is so important. Um, and now I can't remember the exact statistic, but we know. You know, evidence wise, and I say this to all my patients, but particularly when they're starting to get a little bit older, um, you know, the your your muscle mass is is really directly proportional to your ability, your your likelihood, sorry, to go into a nursing home. Not surprising. Uh, or in, yeah. inversely proportional. Yeah. You know, uh, there's there's there's, a, there's certainly a relationship there, whether it's you know, hundred percent correlated or not. There's definitely a relationship there, um, and if it's to the point where you can't get off the chair. Yeah you know, by yourself yep. without using your hands, you, you're in a pretty bad way. Yeah, yeah, already. absolutely. Or if you have a fall and you can't get back up again, you know, proximal yeah. muscle strength. Absolutely. Muscles are so important and getting, getting you know, moving is always good. But but lifting weights or moving weights, you know, resistance training of any kind is, is just is so important. It's so good to hear you say that. Um, that's something I, I really just try and drill drill home to my patients because nobody, well, some people like doing cardio. Yeah, you know, some people do. A lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I hate <laughs> it. And uh, if it, when when you start to say people, oh, you, you know, you have to exercise, you know, you, you can almost see the eyes just glaze yeah, over. Yeah, it's it's and, got a very and, and negative was, connotation. Yeah. The word exercise. I've been trying to use the word movement a bit more. Uh, instead with patients I, I i don't ask do you exercise i asked do you move uh which often i feel like language can be quite powerful and and patients are more likely to talk about different types of movement with the word move rather than exercise um I, and i'm all for like incidental exercise and movement i mean i do it myself like i'll walk to um supermarket i won't push a trolley i'll carry a basket um and i'll actually do random like bicep curls and um, things with my heavy basket i can't just make sure no one's uh in the aisle and i'll just do a couple of like you know tricep dips and things um but <laughs> so i'm like you know if you're busy if you're that busy and you don't have time to like go to the gym or you know all that sort of stuff there's lots of barriers for people to move and exercise I'm like, well, just build it into your day. Isn't that how we used to move as humans um, rather than go to a gym? It didn't even exist Absolutely. back then. Absolutely. We didn't, we didn't have gyms, you know, thousands of years ago and, uh, and so on. You know, uh, modern man is very different to what, to what we used to be. Um, but that's a really good point is, is trying to find a way to make it work in, in, in that patient's life. You know, that's the thing. There's no point in me saying to people, you saying to people, go and exercise for an hour. And they're like, you know, but I've, but I've got, you know, two, three kids. I've got a you know, full-time job. I work in two jobs. You know, my, my partner works. You know, I've got to look after my parents. And, you know, what time do I really have? And, and yes, we all know we've got at least five, 10 minutes here and there. But to that patient, the perception is they don't. 
And so you've got to try and find a way, I think, to to get them to work it in in a in a more natural way. And even, you know, just things like standing. You know, like I'm I'm standing at the moment yes. um, because it's so much nicer yes. than sitting down. But you know, for a long time, I've, I've, I've had back yeah. issues probably from years of playing hockey and being overweight and, and, uh, you know, so I, I prefer to just stand now, but yeah, it's just so much, it's so much better for me to do that. And these are little ways that I, I try and manage, you know, in between patients, you know, I just do, do like 10 squats, oh, just, just, just my so own body weight, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just between patients, like lunchtime, I might just do some push-ups on the floor yes. in my office uh and, it, and it, yeah anyone that opens the door is going to be like yeah yeah doing? um but but that, it's just it's just a way that i can get some exercise in through yeah. the day um in case i struggle when i get home you know three kids busy life yeah yeah you yeah. gotta find a if way if i'm uh, heating up my food in the microwave for lunch i'll do two minutes of squats while the food's heating up um that is a yeah that is hard <laughs> by the way yeah oh yeah <laughs> Two, two minutes yeah. is hard. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. I'm like, what else would I be doing in those two minutes? I don't know, scrolling on my phone or chatting to someone. Like it's two minutes that's, that's you know could be used to move. Uh, I I I don't know if like yeah. I don't know if it's gonna work. I don't know if other GPs do it, but I would love to have a standing desk and do consults with patients standing up. Um, yeah. I just don't know how that would work. Yeah. Obviously, I have the option of sitting down if the patient wants to sit down, but. I've just thought about these things yeah. like to increase my own. Movement. Yeah. I've, I've, I've often, I've often thought about that. And I know some, some doctors yeah. do, um, and, and you see reports that, you know, patients love it and I'm not sure patients love, it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that might be a bit strong. I don't, I don't know, you know, oh, I've, yeah, I've, I've you know, got to stand up for 20 minutes now. Okay. Um, but I, it's something that I've, I would love to do, but yeah, the clinics yeah. that I'm at, you know, it's all just fixed, fixed, fixed yeah. desks, you know, the chairs aren't the right height, the desk is the wrong yeah. height, the keyboard's the yeah, wrong yeah. height, yeah. and you're like, that's me trying to talk to people about posture yeah, and ergonomics yeah. and all the rest of it, and, and I'm stupid. Do you find yourself, and, like, yeah. sitting up when you talk about posture? I feel like so, I, I'm actually, uh, like... A little bit. I'm I'm pretty conscious of, of trying to sit properly yeah. anyway, because, my, yeah, I otherwise get issues with my back and stuff, but um yeah i'd still find myself just stooping over and the chair i've got at one of my clinics it just kind of like sinks through oh, the day yes it's one of those <laughs> so when, when I, I don't realize i'm like hang on i'm like a foot lower than the desk here yeah. what's going on i have to sit myself back up um yeah i mean movement movement is so important mm. and uh, finding a way for people to just get it in oh, yeah. to the day here and there is is really yeah. a good idea um now we've we've spoken a lot about uh quite a bit about pcos um, and endometriosis and there's probably some hopefully some men out there listening to this and taking this on board as well but thinking okay well what about what about testosterone you know what about what about andropause um is this something that you have seen much of yourself with with male patients so i haven't had a lot of male patients yet uh, but I have had, you know, family members. Um, so the woman comes to see me, then she brings her husband and, you know, her son and there, you know, that's kind of how it's working. Um, some men I see that are quite, are younger. Uh, so because their age is in their favor. So testosterone so far, you know, in the early twenties is working for them. Uh, but older men, the moment you see show signs of metabolic syndrome, like I know your testosterone's not that great. 
Uh, it's I feel like it can go both ways. Uh, but I don't routinely mm. test testosterone. Uh, I, I know I probably could, uh, but I just haven't had the patient demographic to experiment with that too much. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, in general, if you think about the implications of low testosterone in terms of their well-being in men, um, like hands down, most of the time they're on the spectrum of having metabolic issues uh, as, as mm. kind of like the dominating presenting issues. Uh, mood might be another one um, and sleep. And often the, pay, the men that have come to see me, for example, that will say, oh, I've, my libido is on the lower side. They're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know our hormones are much better regulated at night when we sleep. Uh, and it was simply a matter of correcting that and maybe having a bit more protein uh, that often can turn things around other than obviously addressing any psychological issues with low libido and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, from that's from what I've seen. I haven't routinely tested routinely tested for testosterone but often again you go back Mm. to the basics uh and you can kind of pick up on things that will correct our body is pretty remarkable that way um the one thing i do know which i think just needs to be emphasized is that the modern day lifestyle was not designed for the human body Mm. so no wonder we're seeing massive chronic disease burdens that are just escalating exponentially at the moment uh, all around the world is because we were not designed to live this way. Uh, and once you unpack that for an individual patient and what that means for them, that's it. You're getting to the root cause. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, we, we're not, we're just really not designed to live the way that we live nowadays, you know, working 24 seven, eating 24 seven, you know, barely sleeping, no social relationships, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, uh, substances, uh, you know, fake foods yeah. and, you know, all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's totally unnatural and the human body just wasn't designed to, to deal with that. And that's why we see the issues I think we see nowadays. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, for any men that are there that are listening, I mean, I do a lot of work with men. I see a lot of male, male clients, male patients and, and, I mean, it's basically exactly the same as PCOS. Mm, yeah. yeah, pretty much. It's just this this metabolic syndrome, this hormonal metabolic yep. syndrome. Um, it's simply, you know, low, usually low testosterone uh, versus low, you know, or low, low relative estrogen, typically in PCOS. Um, and it's the same. It's the same reasons often, and 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 it's the same fix. Uh, it's going back to those basics. You know, looking at your diet. Um, very often, a low carbohydrate approach yes. can help. Um, you know, studies show. I read one study that suggested. Um, a, a, a calorie, a low calorie ketogenic diet improved men's testosterone by, by up to 10 wow. times, which is like, that's, that's insane. <laughs> that's just ins- absolutely insane. I wonder insane. if it's the fat, you know, it's like ketogenic. Times. So I wonder if it's, but it's low calories. How does it work it, with the fat? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because this, this study, they looked at a ketogenic yeah. diet and they looked at a low, low calorie ketogenic yeah. diet and the ketogenic diet 
um, uh, increased it by up to three times. I think the average, you know, with median was something like like uh, 1.5, you know, 150 percent, yeah. roughly. Uh, and then the median in the uh, the low calorie group was the low calorie keto group was I think about 3.5 to yeah. four times. Um, but potentially up to the confidence interval yep. went up to 10. So it sounds more impressive when up you say up, up, up to 10 <laughs> times, you know, uh, it sounds more impressive, but that's perhaps, you know, mis slightly misrepresenting the, 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 yep. the facts. Um, but yeah, interestingly that the, that the low calorie group did uh, increase mm. more than the, the non-calorie restricted. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanism is yeah. there, uh, why that improved so much. Um, which, but it's very, very interesting. Um, observation and of course things like zinc deficiency yep. we know a uh, big driver towards you know oh, testosterone absolutely. deficiency yep. um zinc in, you know supplementation can improve it by potentially around 300 yes. percent, so around three times in, yep. in studies have shown it's actually um, in yeah so more zinc sleep. is in often male fertility supplements absolutely. Uh, which is yeah. yeah just often forgotten absolutely uh, zinc zinc is is so oh, powerful yeah. absolutely uh and, and yeah and like you said about uh, you said about what 70, 80% of patients that you test are zinc mm. deficient. Adult, uh, I think, adult yeah, patients, I was, but probably some adult, kids as well, uh, from what yeah, I can assume. It's, yeah, it's probably somewhere north of that for me, I think maybe like 90%, maybe 95 mm. even like, it's just, it's so high. Um, and it's estimated to be one of the most, if not the most common deficiency, I think in the world, uh, nowadays, along with magnesium is very, very, very high as well. Um, particularly here in Australia, you know, we have, uh, I think, pretty poor uh, soil quality. And that's, I think, the the main reason why we maybe have these deficiencies yeah. here. Um, but even across yes. the world. But also, I think if you think um, about magnesium and other than the soil, what are the other causes? So I tell my patients, if you're drinking alcohol, if you're drinking caffeine, if you're having processed foods and you're mm. stressed, which is, you know, most people would fall into that category in the modern day lifestyle. Um, and yep. probably 90 to a hundred percent of medical students and doctors. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly used to live, I lived on about six cups of coffee yeah. a day, I think, uh, prior to my, my current lifestyle. Um, so that's probably why I was magnesium yep. deficient, uh, most likely, but yeah, it's a very common cause of magnesium deficiency, uh, is, is, is caffeine yes. excess. Um, so yeah, so, you know, for men listening out there, you know, testosterone deficiency certainly can happen. This metabolic syndrome can, can definitely mm. happen, but the fixes are, are pretty easy mm. actually. Um, and, and profound, yeah. the, the symptoms that some men can get are, are really are profound and, and it really can affect them. And it's very interesting that, you know, at least anecdotally myself, uh, a lot of probably most, if not all of the men that I test for testosterone deficiency, when they have a mental health condition, almost invariably come back low testosterone. Ah, interesting. Which is very interesting. And we know that a low testosterone is linked to more uh, suicidality yes. uh, in, in depressed yes. young men um, by potentially up to two yeah. times, you know, 200% increased risk, which is, which is yeah. enormous. Um, as is a, a low cholesterol, a low, cholesterol, yeah. a low yeah. LDL. Interesting. So is that the um, lower end of the range or is it? actual frank deficiency I, I think that's actual yeah, frank wow. deficiency yeah. um but yeah even the reference ranges i mean not a lot of people know how oh, reference ranges yes. even work that's like a whole you know? another and, thing i can talk yeah about. i mean and and i i see and it's a shame really you know i, I see some doctors you know looking at results and they're just taking yes. normal you know no action normal 
because uh, it looks like it's within yes. the reference range, but it's actually a totally abnormal yeah, result. I agree. Uh, but it's in the yep. reference range. And then they, you know, and I've, I've spoken to some doctors about it before and, and they've said, yeah, but it's in the reference mm. range. You know, and I've said, but don't you understand how reference ranges yeah, work? Yeah, it's a population-based assessment. Yeah, and it's like the first, yeah, like the first 2,000 people that go in, yeah. you know. If the first 2,000 people are going in are deficient, well, the ranges are going to be low. Yep. That's, that's the thing. And testosterone is a really good example of yeah. this. Um, you know, the average testosterone level has fallen by about 50% in the last 50 years. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's massive. It's absolutely crazy. And no one's no one's talking about it, you know. And and in this society we have nowadays of um, you know, this kind of idea that testosterone's bad and we need to lower testosterone, you know, and so on. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Uh when when you improve men's testosterone on the whole, you tend to find that they become more um uh not docile, that's not the word, but just more calm, mm. more collected. They become uh, less aggressive, less angry, less anxious, mm. less depressed, uh, more sure of themselves, more confident, more motivated. Yes. Um, which is which is really really interesting. I had one patient recently, actually, this who just really embodies this, um, uh, saying that they they I, you know I'd worked with them to increase their testosterone, and they came back and said, "I feel like I just want to be a better man." Yeah, and. Yeah. And he just said, uh, yeah, I want to just like do things at home and be more manly. And, and to him, that meant masculine meant providing yes. and supporting and nurturing his mm. family and, and building that, that safe mm. home, you know, cleaning and cooking yep. and ironing and the dishes and, you know, and he was like, yeah, this is like weird. Yeah. <laughs> But like in a, in, a, in a really good way, that's great. Um, and that's personally what I found when my when my testosterone went up with my carnivore yes. diet. You know, I found exactly the same. I just wanted to cook, to clean, to iron, to do the washing, and my wife was like, yeah. oh, "This is great." <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to trying to convince my husband to try carnivore a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Uh, I mean, that's maybe that's a good segue then into into what your diet's like. What 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 exactly are you doing with your diet at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm still low carb. Uh, so this is you know, started 2019. So yeah, a couple of years into it now. Uh, obviously, to varying degrees throughout that time. Uh, but I've never gone back to what I was having before: massive amounts of bread and rice and um, you know, granola bars and all sorts of other things, um, in terms of high carbohydrate processed foods. So that's uh, occasionally might have experiment with a bit of low carb bread, um, just to see what that tastes like. So I can tell my patients about it, uh, if they're really desperate to have bread. Um, but yeah, so, so relatively low carb, I have, had days where I would classify my meals as maybe keto, uh, not by measuring, mm -hmm. but just you look at what's on my plate and there really isn't much carbohydrates there at all. So it'll literally just be like meat and salad for dinners. Um, <clears throat> I meal prep uh, once a week, which really helps. Uh, so at least for the lunches for my husband and myself. Uh, so just batch cook like um, curries where I just, throw like a, a, a bit of vegetables in just to get a bit of color in um or chilies are really actually really really nice so i get my red meat through mince 
um, quite consistently um, other than my dinners. Um, and I am oddly proud of this, but my ferritin is high 60s uh, without supplementation, um, mm. which you don't see that in a lot of women of reproductive age that bleed every month. Um, yeah. So right. now when I talk about red meat, I'm ideally wanting myself, my husband and everyone I tell uh, to have good quality grass fed red meat. Um, so that's, I think, and, and just animal protein in general, the, you can get the best quality you can afford uh, because standardized grain fed cattle has inflammation in and of itself. Uh, so that marbling that you see on really nice marbling that you see on cuts of steak, the good Wagyu and, and all that sort of stuff, that's actually metabolic syndrome <laughs> in cattle, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think that's something that people don't actually understand, you know, and I see people talking about it on carnival forums and so on, you know, saying, oh, you know, well, surely we want, you know, if we want the fat surely we want to eat grain fed because they're fatter mm. but i think they're misinterpreting it you know as 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 because yeah it's basically that that cow essentially had metabolic yes. syndrome from the grain um it, yeah from the grain and and if it's not good enough you know for us why are we then wanting our our, our meat you know our food mm. to eat that you know we are what yes. we eat and we are what we eat has yes. eaten yeah absolutely and it, yeah, and if we don't want to eat grains, we shouldn't be expecting our food to right. eat grains. Um, the tricky part there is finances for a lot of people. So unfortunately, we know grass-fed meat mm. tends to be a bit more expensive. Um, I have figured out a couple of ways around that. Obviously, going to butchers generally a bit uh, cheaper. Um, and if you don't go to the butchers, you don't have access to the butchers and all you have access to Coles or Woolworths or the other main supermarket chains in Australia, um, see if you can get them when they're on sale. It's uh, a nice tip that I tell my patients. Um, and I've told my medical students as well who are always on budgets. Uh, if you can get them on sale, if you've got access to a freezer, if they are going to expire in the next couple of days, just freeze them. Uh, and that way, you know, you're saving a bit of money. It's a little bit healthier, but you know, if you can't, you can't like, and that's okay. Um, it's not just about red meat. There are other sources of animal protein. There's chicken, there's eggs, there's fish. Uh, so, but unfortunately those sources will not get you your iron, um, as much as red meat will. As much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, so you're doing low carb yeah. yourself. Um, you're not tempted to, to go into carnival. the, uh, the carnival yeah, world. Yeah. So I was, um, hearing kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole, I think end of last year, a little bit with it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should try. And unfortunately it was the worst time to try because it was Christmas. Uh, so my, before we went to see our family for Christmas, it was about a week or two that my husband and I attempted carnivore. And by that, basically not having salads with our dinners as a starting point um, or having the tiniest amounts, basically. But that was hard, I think. Uh, we, we have definitely in increased our protein intake. So I think that was easy. 
but I think unlearning a lot of that, uh, very, very tricky. And it wasn't as mm. pure. So obviously it wasn't no vegetables. Uh, we were also still both having coffee, um, which I know you've gone off of uh, completely and you feel like Correct, you don't need yeah. it. Uh, but mm. yeah, we were a, bit, were a bit too attached to the coffee. <laughs> I, I think I think everyone everyone's got to find their own yeah, way yeah. You know, with it. Everyone's got to find their own way. Yeah. Um, certainly, I you know I don't push on anyone. You know what what I do. Um, I think everyone's got to find what works for them and find what makes them feel good um, and what doesn't make them feel good. Um, and uh, and I think when you when you start to chip away a lot of those you know processed foods, ultra hyper palatable sugary foods, and so on you start to learn those signals again. And, and that's what I found with low carb, with keto, with intermittent fasting, and now even more so with carnivore. Um, you start to learn what your body wants, what it doesn't want. You know, you learn those signals again. Um, and then you can just work it out. So much easier. What actually makes me feel good? What makes me feel bad? And then you just, you know, you just go from there. Um, you certainly don't have to do, you know, like a pure, pure carnivore. Um, and I know there's probably carnivores out there listening to this podcast going, oh my God, he's saying you can eat, drink coffee and <laughs> eat fruit and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, there's a lot of divisiveness when it comes to this in the carnivore mm. community. Um, I think everyone's just got to find what works for them, not what works for other people. That. That for me is the is the key thing, you know. I I do think that we are all one human species, and we all should have a one optimal diet. But everybody has their own illnesses, diseases, conditions, um, and, and tolerances. And you know, everyone leads a slightly different life, and they're maybe more, more uh, physically active, or they sleep longer, or they work more stressful job, or you know, everyone's a little bit different. So. Uh, everyone's got to find really, I think, what works. What yeah, works for absolutely. them. Ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have tried yeah. to recommend carnivore to a couple of patients uh, in the last few months, uh, mainly as a reset. So, in terms of gut rest, in terms of breaking sugar cravings. So, like I've had one woman who was just yo-yoing with her weight for years, um, and you know, I spoke to her about low carb. She tried it. Things were getting in the way. Weight crept up, became pre-diabetic. And I was like, you know what? She was desperate, which I think is really interesting. If you can understand a patient's level of desperation, it's almost like you might even get better results because they're willing to go all in. Um, and so mm. she, and I told her, I was like, two weeks, only animal protein. That's it. And she, it mm -hmm. took her a while to mentally adjust to that sentence. Um, but, and she was like, can I have green vegetables? Um, and I was like, if you want, you can have green vegetables. That's fine. Um, but she came back two weeks later and I was like, did you have the green vegetables? And she was like, no, I didn't need it. Uh, and she felt great. Okay. So, so the main thing for her was to break the sugar cravings to completely reset her um, cycle with her awareness, her signals, um, her appetite, uh, leptin, ghrelin, uh, insulin. So, 
And it was after that point that we started slowly reintroduce. She wanted to stay low carb. So she wanted to have vegetables and you kind of, you got to meet the patient where they're at. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. But let's do it mm-hmm. in a staged process. Again, this was through Christmas and New Year's. So very tricky time mm. to be doing this, but she pulled through pretty well. Um, mm. So, and she felt a lot better. Like for the first time she was saying that she, she's a, a, a mom of, one and she stopped working to uh raise her and uh she was thinking about actually doing things for herself for the first time in over 10 years and i don't know whether or not it was because she was eating differently and something changed in her brain uh or it was just coincidence but it's almost as if like the fog lifted a little bit and she envision a future of doing things for herself uh versus just being a mom or just being a wife um which i thought was quite cool um yeah that's a really interesting uh story actually and uh good for her that she just kind of took your advice and just trusted you enough to to just kind of go for it and yeah it seems alien yeah um you know, as a as a doctor myself, you know, it took me um, a, a while to come around to the idea. And I spoke before in my podcast about my journey into carnivore was, yeah, probably about a year long, yeah. actually, uh, if not yeah. longer, of just kind of like denial and and saying, you know, this this, this patient that got me into it was just going to kill himself on carnivore and so <laughs> on. And and then I heard Doctor Anthony Chafee, yes. uh, plant free MD, yeah, speak. I heard and, him speak uh, too. Um, and uh low carb down under and now it's just like yeah okay i'll try yeah. it why not <laughs> and then and then i just haven't looked back since um but it can be hard for some people to to get started because it is it's such a paradigm yeah. shift it's it's such a mindset change of you know you don't have to eat these these mm. vegetables uh, and in fact you may not want to yeah. eat these vegetables you shouldn't be eating these vegetables and that's what you know the carnivores would say um and then and and that's it's such a change for them. It's it's hard. It's hard. It's and, and people it's wrestle with it. It's unlearning everything you were yeah. taught, even from when you were a kid. That's it. That's it. That's it. And it's funny because people will take out the sugar, they'll take yeah. out the sweets, they'll take out yeah. the chocolate, they'll take out the alcohol. You know, they'll take out the smokes before they'll take out the yes. vegetables. <laughs> and uh, and that and that's and these are the things that they don't even like most yeah. of the time. And they, they still won't take them out. And it's and it, it is kind of funny. Sometimes they they'll just go for it, they'll trust yes. you and and then they see the positive results and and then yeah. And that's what I I do with patients. You know, I try and use it as almost like an elimination mm, diet. Yes. Um or as a reset, as you said. Go back yes. to basics, relearn all those signals, and then if you want yes. to, carry on. If you don't, you know, move forwards and, and just work out what it is that you can eat that, that doesn't, you know, really cause yeah. you an issue. Uh, and that can work really, really well for that. Um, so what, what, is, what does your husband uh, think of your low-carb, you know, diet and, and trying to push him onto carnivore? I assume he's somewhat agreeable oh, yes. as he tried carnivore for a uh, week as so well. So he's, uh, he, th- he thinks I'm coming into this field a bit late, especially with the whole protein thing. So he uh, knew about the importance of protein because he used to go to the gym a lot when he was younger, when he was in um, end of high school and university so he was already on top of the whole protein 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 thing um 
so I'm the one that's late. Uh, but I think, yeah, definitely on board with low carb, understands the principles of it, just makes sense. Uh, so I don't know if I've mentioned it, but so he is a doctor as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, so uh, he's uh, dual training ICU anesthetics, uh, which brings its own stresses, uh, not just one mm -hmm. training program, but two. Um, and so uh, what we've learned, both of us with our journeys into medicine is in the last couple of years, like we need to be really consistent with our eating habits uh, because of the stress that's coming our way, left, right and center uh, with our jobs um, and our training. So eating and sleeping and movement, like consistent. And recently we're trying to get into meditation as well. But he's totally on board. Mm. He's happy for me to like do all the grocery shopping, plan all the meals. Like, and I, I don't mind. I'm happy to do that. Uh, but he like puts complete trust in me, which I appreciate because it's just easier that way. Um, mm. And in terms of him going carnivore, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we 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 might try it again this year. I'm not sure. Um, but I think if we keep thinking about. Uh, the human race and how it was a bit of an ebb and flow of what was available at the time, depending on where you lived and the seasons and the weather and all that sort of stuff. And so we kind of were, we're kind of tossing up with the idea of, yes, we hunted and we ate a lot of meat, but we also had a bit of, you know, plant foods here and there where it was available um, and we fasted when yeah. there was no food available. Um, and so I feel like he and I were kind of in that space of somewhere in between, but more animal protein dominant for the time being. Um, mm. But I think it's it's hard. I see this in a lot of patients like uh, where the woman comes to me and she's the one in charge of the household and she we're telling her to eat one way and yet she has to make meals for her partner for her kids and she gets sick of making three different meals and that's what like makes her go off the wagon as as they say uh so very fortunate that i've got uh the other person living with me in this household on board uh with what i'm eating yeah. so it's just so much easier Oh yeah, for sure. It makes, it makes a huge difference. Um, and I see that as well, you know, one of the biggest barriers to people changing their diet is unfortunately their yeah. family. Um, a lot of the time, I mean, we talk about social determinants uh, of health, of course, very, very real. Um, people talk about uh, the finances as a, as a big issue and it is for sure. Um, and we spoke a little bit earlier about the finances on, on mm. for red meat. Um, but a lot of what I see is, is, is the social relationships. Yes um and and that is a, is a barrier exactly like you said it's people trying to do better and then their partners spouses kids whatever uh making it making mm. it difficult uh for them either unintentionally or, or sometimes mm. intentionally um i spoke to a patient recently unfortunately she was really trying to do better but every time you know she would make a meal her her husband would would basically sabotage mm. it 
um, and say like, why, you know, why aren't you eating these, these potatoes? I bought these potatoes just for you. And I bought this bread just for you. And I made this bread and, you know, look, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've made you a sandwich, you know, you Mm, need to eat it and all this kind of stuff, knowing that she's trying to, to do a low carb, um, to the point where I basically gave her a, gave her a medical certificate and said, you know, she must eat low carb. And then she gave that to her husband. And then the husband basically oh, backed off, um, which is, which is just yeah. insane. Like, you know, but, 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 but now she's, you know, she's actually improving now as well, which is, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's crazy how much people can sometimes, uh, affect, affect mm. our day-to-day lives like that. But you know, what I usually try and say to my patients there is, you know, you don't have to cook three separate yes. meals. Yeah. You, know, you can cook one meal, just, you don't have to eat every yes, aspect absolutely. of it. That's, that's the key thing. So if like, for me, like I've got, I've got three kids and anyone that's got kids out there knows, like, it doesn't matter what you, what you cook them, like they won't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll, they'll just want yeah. something different. Um, you know, my wife, uh, she's eating, you know, different at the moment, uh, than me and, you know, but I just cook one meal and I just, the kids eat some of it. I eat some of it. My wife eats some of it. You know, we put it on the table and then we just, we take what we want and that's pretty much it. You know, we're still sharing a meal. We're still we're still cooking one meal. Um, it's just there's multiple components, and I'm just picking one component of that. I'm just picking the meat part. You know, so it doesn't you don't have to eat you know separately or or make it a big thing. Um, but yeah, support at home does does certainly make a, a huge mm. difference. Um, have you found any differences? We spoke a bit about your yes. your health uh, with PCOS and so on, of course. Uh, and professionally, but but personally, otherwise, you know, for you, have you found any other changes that low carb medicine, low carb health diet has has impacted you in any other way? Like personally, yeah. So uh, my gut is a lot better. So I would have a lot of bloating, a lot of reflux, and that's probably ninety percent gone. Uh, mm. and I'm not on any, you know, proton pump inhibitor medications. Uh, the, the times that reflux does play up is when I'm stressed. Uh, and I'm definitely more in tune with that, uh, at the moment. Or the other thing is if I eat too much in one sitting, that's, those are my two big triggers for reflux. Uh, and you just kind of have to let it pass. But I, yeah, I'm quite hesitant to take proton pump inhibitors. They've got lots of side effects, uh, mm. including micronutrient deficiencies, which coming back to it. Um, so, Correct. but yeah, so bloating and reflux. And that's, uh, I do see that in a lot of my patients as well. So uh, because it makes sense and carbohydrates are consumed by a lot of the bacteria in our gut, they ferment. Um, which can contribute yeah. to gases as byproducts. Um, so, so those are the two big ones, uh, non-PCOS related. Um, and I suppose anxiety as well. Although I would say it wasn't, it's not the only thing, but it definitely helped. Um, when you're not eating multiple times a day and each meal having carbohydrates in it, shooting up blood sugars and then shooting up insulin and then you crashing again you're not as your mood's not doing this 
like going up and down, up and mm -hmm. down throughout the whole day. And you're pretty steady. Now I experienced burnout and anxiety, you know, in the last couple of years. And I think that was a bit different um, in terms of that driving it. So kind of work and career related, but like being low carb or maybe having to even go a little bit more lower carb um, and increasing my protein a little bit during that time, I think definitely helped. So I had to like adjust depending on my mood uh, in terms of what mm. I was eating. Um, and fasting also helps, I think, with all of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I certainly noticed all of that with myself as well. Obviously, I don't have PCOS, but, uh, you know, with the, from the testosterone side of things there, I definitely noticed an improvement when I went low carb, keto, and then even further into carnivore yep. as well. Um, but yeah, same with me, you know, just anxiety, stress. I've Lucky I've never really suffered from mental health issues, or at least not diagnosed. Like anyone, of course, I've had stresses in my life, a lot of stresses. Like I said, I've got three kids, mm. um, uh, you know, and anxieties. But I found it made a big difference when I cut yes. the sugar as yeah. well, for sure. Um, and with, with the fasting and my, yeah, like my IBS, everything just kind of like mm. disappeared. And um, especially now in carnivore, like just completely disappeared uh, completely, which is amazing uh, for me. Um, you mentioned yes. fasting. So you do some intermittent fasting yeah, as well. Um, so I wouldn't say every day. Uh, it's varied over the years, but um yeah i got rid of the whole breakfast is the most important meal of the day a while ago <laughs> um yeah. i do like my coffee so i will have coffee um there have been times where i've had a bit too much coffee that's not good either uh i almost like to suppress my appetite which is not ideal uh it is an appetite suppressant but at the same time it is a stimulant and so can actually create a bit of a stress response, which is not ideal in someone mm -hmm. who is recovering from burnout uh, and has a history of anxiety. So, so that's definitely a work in progress adjusting that. But I feel like fasting works really well when you're busy. And so if you're at home, not doing anything near the kitchen, fridge staring at you in the face, not great to be fasting um oh, sorry flight just attacked me <laughs> um, um yes yeah, so <laughs> but yeah so so i think it's context specific uh it depends on you know how long you want to do it for and i'm a very big advocate of it for my patients um i'm happy to support them in uh, various kinds of fasting regimens that they've done uh but yeah i i I haven't counted the hours exactly, but it's always at least 12 to 14 hours. Um, and even if I have three meals a day, it's a, definitely a shortened window. So I'll have my first meal at maybe 10 or 11 uh, and be done by six or seven. Uh, so, but that varies. Like I'm not really regimented. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting there's a lot of evidence coming like initially it was like oh you you don't have to be regimented you got to keep your body flexible uh change it up during the week and then now i'm hearing about it there's some evidence out there where it's about all about consistency because it's all about the circadian clock um and if you can be consistent enough even on the weekends 
you actually have greater benefits in terms of blood sugars, blood pressures, all that sort of stuff. So mm. you know, that, well, that's what, you know, research is, it's constantly changing um, and you got to keep up to date. So, um, but yeah, so I think it's a tool that I have. It's quite flexible. It gives me freedom. Um, and I find that um, I'm, as I do it more often, I'm, I'm not struggling as much in terms of hunger. Mm. Uh, Cause I, when I'm hungry, I'll just eat. Yeah. Have you, have you tried to do any um, like a prolonged fast at all? Like more than, more than a day? No, <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair Definitely enough. Definitely not enough. there yet. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I know a lot of people that do yep. it. Uh, I've done them myself. Um, and again, same thing, you know, when, when I first was introduced to the idea, I was like, you're crazy. Like, like what, 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 like, what on earth is this? This is, this is bonkers. Why are you not eating? You know? Um, but then I was amazed by the differences that I saw when I did my first, um, prolonged fast, uh, really, truly incredible. And I've done, I've done quite a few since, um, and the longest one I did was 14 days, um, which was, uh, I actually just meant to do a seven, but then I kind of felt fine. And I just said, you know what? I'll just carry on until I don't feel fine. Um, got to 10 and then I still felt absolutely fine. So I just carried on to 14. Yeah. By the 14, I like, yeah, I wanted to eat, um, for sure. I was getting pretty, pretty hungry then. Um, I didn't really feel like there was any benefit over mm. seven days, but I definitely felt there was benefit on the seven yes. day fast. Um, but interestingly, like now, um, now that I've lost a lot of weight, I, and on the carnivore diet, I'm kind of relearning my hunger signals. I am struggling to do those fasts mm. now. Like I said to my wife yesterday, like, I'm, gonna, I'm probably just going to go on like a like a two day fast yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, I've made it like 24 hours, and I'm just I need to eat. Yeah, just just I just yeah. need to eat. Um, and I don't know if that's just because my you know I've just got a lot less fat reserves now, or you know something else has changed, but. Um, that, that definitely has a place. And I know some people do do it. There were people talking at the low carb down under this year around prolonged fasting mm. as well. Um, and it's a great way of just getting people that, that reset. Yes. Um, but since I've experienced carnivore, I actually feel like that's probably a better way of getting yes. that reset. And it's, it is a bit yes. safer. Um, we don't have to worry of refeeding syndrome and hypos as yeah. much as we do, uh, with, with fasting. Um, so I think it's a little bit safer in that regard and it's a bit more palatable for people rather than saying, right, you can't yeah, eat yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit much, you know, it's even worse than saying you can't yes. eat vegetables. Um, people just look at you like you're an alien, like you've got a green yeah. head or something. Um, but no, I mean, that's something that, that, you know, certainly some people do and they find great interest, you know, great, great benefits, sorry, rather. Um, but intermittent fasting, yeah, definitely is something that I talk to a lot of patients about as yeah. well. Um, and a lot of people see really, really mm, big benefits Yes, from it for sure. So, um, we've been talking now for about an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's quite a long time. It's been a great conversation. <laughs> Time's gone by yeah. very quick. Um, it's probably a good time to maybe just, you know, think about wrapping it up. Is there anything else that you wanted to share Malini that you, that, you know, we haven't spoken about so far? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can say it, but would love to talk about my business really quickly if that's all right. Absolutely. You can certainly talk about your business. Yeah, that's you know part part of yeah. why you're here, of course. Yeah. yeah so fine. uh 
Phoenix Docs essentially, like I said briefly, came from medical students asking me and pestering me about questions about nutrition and lifestyle uh, for their own health, really, let alone treating patients. Uh, and it, it just made sense because, you know, personally, I've gone through, like I said, I've gone through burnout. I'm, I'm still recovering from burnout um, and anxiety. And I've had it for a lot longer than I thought I did on reflection. So, I mean, this started when I was in the hospital as a resident. So uh, many, many years. Uh, and, you know, we were hearing about doctors quitting medicine, um, mental health, you know, suicide amongst doctors. Like, it's just ridiculous. Uh, and something has to change. So, you know, a lot of it's not in our control in terms of the system and what is expected of us as doctors and Medicare um, may not necessarily be able to change it ourselves, but if we have the tools to actually look after our own health that we may not have realized are there, uh, like that's a start. And I feel like I have an obligation with what I'm learning and what I've been through to teach people about this. Um, and you can go you know, you can go on YouTube and listen to podcasts, you can read books and all that sort of stuff. You can go through research articles, but who has time to do all that? Like, and mm. still practice full time as doctors, study for exams, you know, finish med school, all that sort of stuff. So I feel like with the journey that I've been on, all the reading that I've done, all the training that I've done, and I'm still doing, I'm no expert, but I'm definitely uh, learning. And I have time to do that and i have made the time to do it i've been very fortunate to be able to do it i just want to share it with people um and so you know there's there's low carb down under there's lots of other lifestyle medicine conferences and things out there a lot of it is for patient care uh but my business is more about doctor's health and medical students health and so my first workshop is in brisbane uh, on Saturday, the 11th of March. Uh, all the details are on my website. And there's a link even on my Instagram page and Facebook page to buy tickets. So it's a full immersive experience where it's about your health as a doctor or a medical student um, in terms of starting to become aware of what you need to work on to feel better and live your best life. Uh, so whether or not it's looking at food, whether or not it's movement. And, and we're going to do all of these things, it's not just about lectures. It's about, you know, I looking at labels on food, that it's about actually doing some fitness assessments. It's about experimenting with stress reduction, like meditation and things like that, but all in one day uh, so that you can walk away. And yes, you can tell your patients about it, but you can work on it yourself at the same time. So that's just the beginning. Um, as of us recording this podcast on the 13th of February, there are four spots left. Um, but that's just the first workshop. So if this goes well, I would love to host more, not just in Brisbane. I would love to do it in Sydney and Melbourne and wherever else there's demand. Um, because it, I feel like we're at a crux in terms of how our healthcare system is at the moment. And if we don't do something about doctor's health, and, and the new generation of medical students' health themselves, I feel like it's not sustainable and it's gonna crumble.
Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what you're trying to achieve is is very noble. Uh, it's very important. And yeah, more people should be should be doing it, you know, looking after each other's health uh, as doctors, as healthcare professionals, looking after ourselves is incredibly important. You know, you can't care for others if you're not caring for yourself. Yeah, exactly. First exactly. and foremost. Um, how can people find you on uh, on social media? You mentioned Instagram yeah, and Facebook. Yeah, so there. those are the two main pages that I'm on. So it's just Phoenix Docs, uh, the animal Phoenix, so P-H-O-E-N-I-X and Docs, G-O-C-S, uh, all one word. Um, and my website is www.phoenixdocs.com.au. Yeah, perfect. Well, I'll make sure to put all those links in the uh, in the description for the podcast video. Um, hopefully, I'll try and get this out as soon as possible Thank you. <laughs> uh, so that we can get some advertising for you. But I'll certainly put it in the clips uh, on Instagram and so forth. So yeah, anyone that's listening, anyone that's watching, definitely uh, go check out Phoenix Docs on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, follow along with, with Malini and what she's trying to do there with everybody's health. Make sure you share it, share it to the mass- masses so that we can get this word out that there is a a better way of, of trying to help people. Um, also, of course, you know, follow oh, myself yeah, on, on Instagram um, uh, at Dr. Suresh Kawadka on Instagram and Facebook um, at The Meat Medic on, uh, on YouTube and, and Twitter. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of The Meat Medic Podcast. And thank you, Dr. Malini Bose, for coming on and talking to me for about an hour and a half, <laughs> I think it is now. So, wow, that's yeah. a long conversation. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been a really, really pleasure talking to you today. Hopefully our listeners, have, watchers have, viewers have learned a lot about uh, PCOS, um, testosterone, estrogen, endometriosis, and how low-carb medicine, lifestyle medicine, and integrative medicine can help their health. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, Suresh. Thank you, for this li- Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp- interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeekmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF50OFF for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.